review. It's first and inches. Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. He had shoulder surgery on his elbow. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery on his elbow. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We got to consider that. The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Downfield wide opens Gallon. They left him alone. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Anybody see that? <laughs> A lesser athlete would have gone down. Welcome back, sports fans, to an absolutely magnificent weekend of college football. This is First and Inches, brought to you by Milwaukee Tool, nothing but heavy duty. He's Patrick Smith. I'm joined by Trevor Tooley. I'm Kevin Wise. And we are riding a high with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Should Patrick, we just say you? Should we just are we just gonna sing the victors for forty five minutes and call it a day or something? I like I was saying before we started this podcast, I eventually need to get back to real life and not just basking in this glory. And now we get to bask in this glory for days and days and days until the next game happens, and then hopefully the next game after that, and it's gonna go on and on, and we're never gonna be able to continue life for the next month. You know, I think it's it's 1,092 plus 365 now. Uh, if anybody out there has the quick math skills, man, it feels great. That's a lot of days. But I think what we're going to touch on here, last year was great. This one just hits different. It This one was deep down there were some demons that were exercised on saturday i mean yeah dude first time in 20 years that we had won in their house and to do it in exactly the same dominating fashion as last year to just eat their soul man that game was perfect. It was the same story as last year. I don't even know where to start. You know, there's a million different things we could talk about in this game. Why don't we let the new guy, Trev, what do you want to talk about first? Oh, man, I, I don't know where to start. I think, like uh, like a lot of us, I've been a, a Michigan fan, like born and raised ever since I was a little kid. And honestly, my for the large part of my childhood, like Michigan was not a dominating force with Ohio state. Like there were some close games. There was a couple wins in there, but largely it was a rivalry that I was like dreading every, I'm still dreading every year, including Saturday. And to get this win, like I feel like I can't imagine how the program feels and the players feel and the coaching staff, but I feel like it's just one of those 
it's one of those wins that carries weight for so much longer than just this season for the young guys on the team, for the guys that are exiting. And so I think first and foremost, I just like, I can't imagine what that locker room is like at the end of the game, to be honest, but we can jump into the game really anywhere. I think all of the major keys that we talked about on Friday that Michigan was going to have to do, honestly, they did pretty much. Um, starting for me with JJ. I think JJ was like, you know, he had some mistakes, but he showed up like he made plays when he needed to. He didn't make mistakes. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. JJ was the difference in this game, at least through a large portion of it. I mean, he was the guy who kept Michigan alive in the first half. Give a lot of credit to the wide receivers for making the plays they did, but JJ hit guys on big explosive plays in the first half and a first, you know, 20 minutes of the game where Michigan kind of got a little bit lucky to be where they were out in front. You know, Michigan was really struggling to get its footing to start. And I think the only spark they got at the beginning of the game was from JJ. And, you know, you know you're going to need some electricity from the quarterback position in a game like the game against Ohio State. And he brought it in a big way, you know, throughout this game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think let's let's kind of chronologically go through how we felt during the game what was going on and um kind of how everything developed so obviously ohio state kind of marches down first possession straight down the field and although they scored i think the only silver lining was that i think michigan had a clear defensive game plan here that we need to at least make them drive our shot is to make them drive. If we give up, ironically, the 70-yard bombs to Marvin Harrison Jr., Egbuka, you know, you know, pick your five-star wideout, we're going to lose this game. But if we have a chance to at least, we'll give up maybe a 15-yard throw, a 20-yard throw, even a 30-yard throw, as long as they don't score on those, maybe we can hold them to a field goal. Maybe we can make something happen. And I think eventually that did work out in our favor. Yeah, I mean, you saw it throughout the whole game. There was, I can think of exactly one play where Michigan got beat over the top at all in the game, and that was the Harrison touchdown, barely even considered over the top, you know, a route right along the sideline. Michigan's safeties were locked down all day. Um, Rod Moore had a great game. I can think of like three different pass breakups he had. Um, just the amount of talent that the Ohio state wide receiving core has, you know, starting at the top with Harrison, who just got absolutely locked up by a freshman. Um, Michigan secondary just deserves all the praise in the world. Just an unreal performance for them. Probably one of the best games a Michigan secondary has had in the past few years, just to shut down that amount of talent with nowhere near the amount of elite pass rush that Michigan benefited from last year was just pretty incredible throughout the whole game. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the, you know, we have said that last year to this year, same outcome, similar score, similar overall dominance. But to me, like different ways, like, yeah, we had the rushing yards at the end from some blown up plays. But from a defensive standpoint, I it was totally linebacker and secondary play that was the X factor. You know, we were not getting, to, Stroud had like, I was sitting there like pissing my pants every play as he just sat back there for like four or five seconds, blah, 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 like looking everywhere. I'm just waiting for the big play. 
and it never happened. So, yeah, Stroud really didn't have a lot of open guys in this game at all. I mean, they're as people who have watched the Michigan Ohio State game for the last decade, we are used to crossing routes wide open, turning into 50 yard plays, guys getting beat just in huge open islands of space on post routes. Didn't happen. Didn't happen once. They were marked up the entire game. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, it wasn't because Stroud was running for his life in the pocket and having to throw stuff up. Stroud had time and, and good, good amounts in several plays in this game, and they were just marked coverage sacks. Yeah, um, completely agree. And I think that that was where, personally for me, I didn't think we had that in us, and that's why I thought we needed a pass rush. I think you've heard me say the whole season, we need a better pass rush. We need a better pass rush. I would still take, moving forward, you know, like JJ said, job's not done. There's still some big games to play here. We can't get too hung up on this huge emotional victory, but um, you don't need as elite of a pass rush when you blanket guys like that. I mean, everybody. Uh, DJ Turner as well. Let's not forget about him. Phenomenal game. Um, we already talked about Will Johnson, who's going to be a stud for a long time. Um, but what it felt like was in the first half, we didn't, you know, they did enough to keep us in it. They slowed everything down enough because Michigan was still down at half. But I even felt like the momentum started to turn in that second quarter. Yeah, I mean, the momentum the felt like it turned when Michigan started to hit those big explosive plays. And I think that was one of the major takeaways from this game, even from the beginning of the game, even as we kind of marched through how this game played out throughout the whole game, it was the big explosive plays for Michigan. I mean, four touchdowns of 69 or more yards is going to win you a hell of a lot of football games. Um, And Michigan did it in ways where they exploited a mismatch they had with the way Ohio state lined up to mark them defensively throughout the first half. What you saw from Ohio State is they would have one high safety and they stacked the box. I think they didn't want to get beat in the same way that they got beat last year where Michigan ran all over them throughout the whole game. And they actually did a decent job of mudding up the Michigan run game in the first half. Michigan didn't have a lot of success on the ground. I mean, they kind of had guys in and out trying to figure out who the hot hand, who the guy who's going to be able to carry some of the workload in this game would be but they bottled them up and Michigan took advantage of the fact that they were committing so many people to the run game and you know I think for the first time that we've seen consistently took such good advantage of a defensive mismatch um, through the passing game which we don't always see out of Michigan this season. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't know enough about the true in-depth schemes of one defense compared to another, but I've seen a lot of people say, well, Michigan won the game because of those huge plays. Uh, If you take away, you know, I think it's like five, I think the five plays, if you count the Loveland touchdown in there, accounted for about 350 or 360 of the yards, something like that. But the question becomes, uh, is that the reason other teams don't play defense like that? Because it's a known thing that if you if you bring all these people down, sure, you'll have a lot of two, three-yard run stuffs. But then when you do bust one, this is what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, you see this completely play out right in the game. I mean, right after the Loveland touchdown, Ohio State, you know, kind of abandons their one high safety stack the box look. 
They drop another cover safety back. Um, and then the next drive for Michigan is something like 15 plays, eight minutes, just churn you to death drive. Um, Ohio State was in that defense for a reason. And that's because they knew that Michigan would be able to do exactly what they did last year if they came out in shell coverage um, and they put two high safeties up and they let Michigan get to the second level with their blockers. Um, and you saw it. I mean, Michigan run game eight the whole second half because they had to switch their defense up. Um, and guess what? That didn't work either. We learned that in 2021 and we learned it again this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that a team that has offensive balance and can run and pass obviously is going to, you know, win games and make a difference on the field. And I think you're talking about the difference of uh, one safety high and stacking the box. We experienced the problems of that defense because that was Don Brown's defense. That's, you know, man-to-man coverage, trust your D-backs, you know, sacrifice on your coverage side to have more ability to blitz and take out the run factor. I think Michigan was just good at, you know, I guess capitalizing on that opportunity and Cornelius Johnson made the best play of his season and had back-to-back longest passing downs of any Michigan player this season. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to get, bit if you play I I saw on Twitter 40 snaps in man coverage like you can't hold up against those type of explosive plays when you expose yourself to man coverage that much and Ohio State I think personally I think they overcommitted to their vulnerability from last year I think Jim Knowles was too rigid in his approach to this game they came out trying to stop one type of game plan they adjusted late and couldn't defend the other type of game plan. And they didn't show any type of um, unique or difficult to process defense or coverages in this game, which made things really easy on JJ. And he was able to hit guys in clearly open positions. And, you know, I just didn't see a lot out of Jim Knowles in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. I, I think that, um, it was surprising given the the improved overall kind of defensive efficiency that we've seen just from an analytics standpoint on Ohio State. Uh, we all know that they came into the game with, you know, um, top 10, 15 overall defense, depending on what you want to look at. Um, and looked like they were um, pretty thoroughly improved, both um, running and passing. The secondary was a weakness, but I think they thought, like a lot of Michigan fans, did that, well, it's your weakness against our weakness, which is throwing the ball. And like we've been saying the whole time, clearly Harbaugh had one in the chamber that was left for this. I mean, between that and then I guess this is a good segue into when we thought the game changed. I'll be the first one to say I thought the whole time we probably had a couple plays ready for this game. And when uh, we threw that halfback pass to Schoonmaker, I remember that was the moment where I thought we're going to win this game. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I know we've actually talked about this play a lot already before recording. Um, Just such a crazy fun play in the game. I was just reading some new pieces about this play. So apparently Mullings is is not a huge guy. Couldn't see Schoonmaker at all. Like, couldn't see him at all. They asked him how he knew where to throw it. He said he just threw it to the area. Just 
It's beautiful. It's absolutely perfect. Also, I'm sure you guys wondered when Mullings came in, like, how have we never heard about Mullings? What, like, converted linebacker is our best option on third and one. I know we kind of moaned about this, Trevor, over text as it played out. Apparently, Mullings, so they auditioned different running backs this week because of Corum's injury. And Mullings was picked for this role because he was the best at throwing the pop pass. They picked their short down running back for this game based on his ability to run their trick plays. I mean, I just assumed that this was a planned trick play from before. I think they just got lucky that the situation presented itself when it did. But they're, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, the way they approach the ball, they're, they're, offensive lineup for the second play the halfback pass was identical to the first half play and I was like ripping my hair out right before it happened and then I immediately changed my tune and was like wow we're brilliant (laughs) go team but man that was that was crazy I mean a little piece on that play uh (laughs) apparently the the call name for the play was big balls accurate while we're you know, talking about converted linebackers to running back, I think it is worth mentioning how Ohio State obviously tried to uh, bring in, uh, I'm going to butcher his name here, but uh, Diamante Trayanum. Trainum. Who came from Arizona State. Trainum. Came from Arizona State. He played running back at Arizona State, but then he was linebacker at, at Ohio State. Um, you know, it really begs the question for me, and I think people are, you know, have a lot of criticism about a number of decisions Ryan Day made in this game, but I'm wondering, where's Dalton Hayden? I just saw this guy run for 150 yards and three touchdowns last week. He looked pretty great in a game when Williams and Henderson weren't available. So I absolutely thought that we were going to see Hayden then when we didn't, I thought, hey, maybe maybe he's injured. Maybe this is kind of an Edwards situation where he's got something lingering. But so then, then it's got to be Mayan Williams, right? But then we see him a little bit later. So it, it's confusing to me why we didn't see, and I haven't seen in any post-game press conference, anyone kind of ask him about that. Now, I don't think Trinum was actually bad. He looks like he's got some talent. For a big guy, he moves pretty well. He had some pretty good vision. He, had, he broke off some of their better runs, but... Dallin Hayden looked so good to me, and I talked a lot about their depth. I felt like depth was their strength. All of a sudden, it looks like, is this possibly a weakness? And while we're talking about converted players, we definitely can't leave the last one off the list. Sane was still with what, in my mind, was probably the biggest play of the game, that pass breakup from Stover in the end zone as Ohio State had a chance to cut it to what have put them within three. Instead, hold him to a field goal, keep it at an eight-point game. The amount of ground he covered there was absolutely insane. That was like one of those, no, 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 like clearly it's open, and he just came out of nowhere. And I feel like he did it all game long. Every out route, every like play in the flats where I was worried, where I was worried that you know, this five-star Ohio receiver was about to make a move and whatever, you know, we were getting open field tackles and he was there on every, every one of them. Honestly, he had a perfect game in my mind. He played out of his absolute mind. Let's also mention 
Um, obviously, huge props to Jesse Minter. Um, what he has done with the defense has been absolutely phenomenal. And I just want to call out one specific play where I think there are certain plays where it's, it's you know, coaching comes in two forms in my mind. It comes in um, the development of players over the course of a season, which we've clearly done. And then it comes in the true in-game adjustments. How much tape have you watched? Do you know what they're going to do? The basically play in the flat where they drop Braden McGregor into coverage and they were throwing it into the right flat. Jesse Minter clearly knew that exact play was going to be called and that is exactly where the ball was going. We almost had an interception by defensive end. We had a pick by the defensive tackle, which was a little bit more of a broken play, but we almost had one because he knew exactly that's the drop the defensive end into coverage at the perfect time. If he had actually just timed his steps a little better, he would he have drew that off, play up perfectly. He would have gotten off the ground a little bit more, and there might have been a pick six or at least a huge interception by a defensive end on a Heisman winning quarterback who's had a handful of picks on the year. So, I mean, Jesse Minter um, played a phenomenal game. Um, his his game plan, the adjustments he made, um, we can't give him enough credit. One of the other things I wanted to talk about in this one was, I mean, this is just another year where Michigan is clearly the tougher, stronger-willed, ready to go into this game and take a win at any cost team for the second straight year. You know, I think Harbaugh gave a ton of credit this week already to Ben Herbert, the strength and conditioning coach. I think he has just been a a crucial part of Michigan's success over the last few years. Um, And then, you know, toughness also on the mental side of things. You know, I it looked throughout the game just, you know, you can't really – describe it but Michigan had the better energy the better vibe Michigan looked looser and then just major mental mistakes in key moments by Ohio State Um, the two personal fouls the one where he just butts his helmet totally off the field of play Um, that personal foul combined with a holding pushes him back from first uh, and 10 from the Michigan 48 all the way back to first and 35 from Ohio State's own 30. Um, That was just an insane swing in the game. And I just thought you saw a huge difference in terms of mental and physical toughness out of the Wolverines compared to the Buckeyes, who they looked soft. Yeah, so now that we're kind of talking about overall, you know, themes about the programs and and where they're headed, I'll I'll talk about something I learned on Saturday. So obviously we had the pregame show and I'm the only one out of the three people here that I will own my pick. I thought it was going to be Buckeyes and I thought it was going to be big. Of note, I was closest to the correct score, just had the wrong teams in the wrong spot. Anyway. Oh, we want Kevin. Congratulations. So here's what here's what I think is happening. Here's what I think I learned when I'm really looking at what's happening with these two teams. You know, football is kind of like a company and it, it, it's truly an institution where stuff is built from the top down and often takes time for all these changes to truly take effect and the, and the culture to change. You know, when I think when Harbaugh made the comment, you know, you're born 
on third and you think you hit a triple, what he's trying to say is, man, it must be nice to walk into a well-oiled machine where we already say practice is at this time. These are our core values. This is how we do it. The recruits are in place. This is how we do everything. You walk in and it's already moving. But can you keep that standard? That's the real question, right? Are you able to then, when things go awry, can you make the necessary adjustments, not in the game, but over your program? Can you see when, can you make the right personnel changes? Maybe Jim Knowles is it, maybe it's not. Are your players kind of straying off track? Are you maintaining that standard? Harbaugh comes in and the program is basically in, in disarray. And in short order, he did turn it around and then he dropped down a little bit. But now it's like he's, he has all of his things in place. And that's where I think that I've learned, um, man, he he knew what he wanted to do. And it just took him a while to really get all of the culture, the guys in, in place to do it. Um, kind of just expanding on that, let's, let's think about where some of these programs go from here. Because I would argue that uh, one of the things Harbaugh is doing right now is developing the players. Look at the talent on the field. This was a road game for Michigan without their Heisman caliber player with arguably the second best player on their team having a substantial thumb injury. I know Ohio State had injuries too. Nine-point underdogs. You go in and you blow them out with a less talented roster. That's, I think, the, the hardest part here. If I'm an Ohio State fan, looking back, where do we go from here? It's not going to be getting better players. You already have the better players. The and better players Ohio are, State. The better players are already there. You know, like I was hearing, oh, well, they're not physical enough on the line. Let's look at a couple. Let's just look at a couple of these recruits on Ohio State's defensive line right now, okay? Probably their best pass rusher is Zach Harrison. Arguably the number one pass rusher in the class of 2019. One of those, not even five stars, like high five stars. Jack Sawyer, the guy who missed the tackle on Cornelius Johnson when he when he broke down for the first touchdown. Top five overall player in the entire country, class of 2021. Same with JT Tulimolau. These are all way up there, five-star guys. What happens if Harbaugh gets those guys? He's doing it right now with threes and fours, mostly. There's some fives in there, too. There are some very talented players on Michigan's roster, but that's what would make me nervous. And the last thing, I've heard a couple people on Ohio State, Harbaugh's not a great coach. He had some down years. Absolutely understand that. He went to a Super Bowl. Let's think about that for a second. Urban Meyer tried to go to the NFL. I'm not saying NFL success equates exactly to college success. But to tell me the guy doesn't know football, flat out wrong. I mean, we don't need to make this a Harbaugh conversation. Like, Harbaugh has turned every single program he's ever coached around in instance turned them into incredible programs. And then when he's left, they've turned to disarray. 
You saw it at San Diego State. You saw it at the 49ers. You saw it at Stanford. And now you've seen him turn around, turn it around at Michigan and become one of the premier programs in the country. Like you said, where do you go from here if you're Ohio State? Well, it starts next year where you go on the road back to Ann Arbor where you play almost every single player who just burned you this year next year under another year of Harbaugh development in this system, that's what you do. And you're probably not going to win that game. It's probably going to be the first time in a long time where Michigan has been a favorite. And so, I don't know. Where do you go from here? Your defensive coordinator hire that you sought out simply to try and stop what Michigan did to you last year. Clearly, that didn't work out so well. So, if you're Ohio State, I think you have a Michigan problem. And if you're Ryan Day, I know you have a Jim Harbaugh problem because he just coached absolute circles around you for a second straight year. Um, And I'll I'll let some other people say some stuff, but just Michigan's coaching staff looks absolutely incredible this season. Michigan has routinely been the best second team, second half team in the country this year. And it's just incredible. This is like – absolute domination for Michigan in the second halves against Ohio State the past two years. The rushing yard stats are insane. It's 430 yards to 24 in the second half over the last two games. 24. Yeah, I think it's kudos to the coaching, to be honest. I mean, even in the last couple years when Harbaugh's won games, like the the line you'd hear on – you know, Saturday morning reporting and leading up to any big game was, oh, Harbaugh can't get the big game win, right? Can't get the big game win. And then last year, I mean, sure, we got blown out by Georgia, but Ohio State last year, you know, Penn State this year, Ohio State this year, like I think the biggest turning of the corner is the coaching staff has done something. I don't know if it's that the players are buying into the system wholeheartedly now. I mean, it certainly seems like they're all in um or what but that's the difference you know now now michigan is showing up in big games they're not just like forgetting everything that they did in all the other games when it gets onto the big stage which is cool it's cool to see i think one of the biggest things is if you think across college football which football teams have the most concrete identity that they'll try to impose on you throughout that football game on one side of the ball the other side of the ball I think one of the first teams that has to come to your mind is Michigan is just going to physically run the ball on you and then work off that. So Michigan knows what they want to do. They have recruited coaches and talented players to do what they want to do. And Harbaugh has been doing it for decades, man. And now you finally see the, the diversity in the run game that Michigan plays. They run like five run schemes. Like it must be a nightmare to play against. And they have the talented offensive line to do all of it. So I think Michigan has just a concrete identity now. And you've seen it play out over two seasons. Yeah, and I think this kind of touches on one thing we've mentioned a little bit in earlier pods, which is, you know, years ago, Nick Saban moved from the A.J. McCarron, I have a serviceable quarterback within a a phenomenal run game and a huge running back and this big offensive line and this physical defense to a little bit more finesse that we saw with, you know, Devontae Smith and then kind of these Bryce Young teams. Well, 
there are a couple teams that are zigging while everyone else zags right now. And that's kind of Michigan and Georgia. You see Tennessee with this high-flying offense. You see USC with this high-flying offense. You see UNC doing it. You see Ohio State doing it. It's kind of the thing to do right now is spread everybody out, throw it all around the yard. And listen, I would love to throw the ball down the field more too. It was refreshing to see it on Saturday. But you have to wonder, you know, are Harbaugh and Kirby Smart onto something here? Are they just a little bit ahead of the curve? Are we going to start seeing the other powers go back to that? And I, I think it's possible. I think to me, it, you know, trust me, I've wanted, <laughs> there was years where I wanted Michigan to do the run it and gun it and spread the field. I mean, we had it with Rich Rod and we saw how that went. But I think, uh, I think that the Kirby Smart offense, the Jim Harbaugh offense, I think while sometimes it's not the most exciting as the fan, they are more reproducible. I think it's easier to reproduce with time. I think the the run and gun show, like what Ohio State's done all year, and then what? They couldn't do it Saturday because you get some corners that are doing things and you got a defensive coordinator who's out scheming your offense. And now what? You know, there's you're kind of dependent on the big play um to win the game. And you know, it can be stopped. I think one of the best things about you know, the power running game as a core tenant in your offense is its ability to let you take a stranglehold on the game. Um, In nature, if you pair a power run game with physicality and toughness, as the game plays out and you get into winning time, your offense starts to lean on the defense more and more. That's a tiring type of defense to play with, especially in the trenches. And you've seen that with Michigan all season where after the second half, when they can adjust into the run schemes that they've seen working the best, and the offensive line just starts getting that extra push in the third and fourth quarter. And, you know, you don't often think about teams being able to do that to a team like Ohio State, but Michigan just does that to Ohio State now. Third, fourth quarter, you're going to see Michigan getting more and more push, being able to move the ball and just kind of boa constrict that game to death by just squeezing the life out of the clock. Um, and p- exposing your offense to very little risk in winning time. Yeah, um, I completely agree. And I think it also, it what struck me most was the poise. Even we were down at half. It's like you believe, you heard Edwards say it in the, in the press conference afterwards. He said, you know, the pipes are going to burst. We're going to keep running it and we're not going to get nervous if we only get two or three we only get two or three most of the time this year the burst is oh we get six we get seven we get eight we get five we get seven we get eight boom 30 boom 40 when this one was more two three two three two three 85 75 um so i just i think that this this team now has achieved that level of belief that I mentioned in the pregame show, which I think should make Ohio State the most nervous, where now now Michigan thinks they're going to win every game, every time. And as a Michigan fan, for the first time in my adult life, I'm right there. Like, I'm Georgia right now. I think you always respect the heart of a champion. 
They've done it. They've proven it. But I would not be surprised if if we beat Georgia. Now, I don't want to look ahead to anything like that, but I'm just saying that not the, we have now unlocked that level of success where we go somewhere. They believe when Harbaugh says, oh, we're going to win this game. And they get down a little bit. They still think they're going to win the game. And that's a da- belief in a good team is a dangerous thing. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina. One of the things that you said um, about poise just made me think about JJ. I mean, talk about the biggest environment that kid ever had to play in in his life on the biggest stage in the most important game in the college football season, a bona fide playoff game um, to come in and make the plays he did. Uh, Also, Michigan started to use his legs perfectly in the second half where Ohio State I mean, you saw it on Edwards' big run. Ohio State has two guys back behind the line of scrimmage with a chance to make a play on the ball. One accounts for J.J., and the other hesitates because J.J. just broke off a couple big runs with his legs to help Michigan move the ball on Ohio State in the second half. So J.J. just had a huge performance in this game. And on that J.J. leg usage – I hope as Michigan fans, when we whine and moan throughout the season about a vanilla offense and a vanilla game plan against Rutgers and Indiana, and we, you see some people wonder, well, maybe Michigan's keeping something in the barrel for the bigger games on the season. Yes. Yes, they are. They always do. You saw it in a glaring way against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game last year with running back passes and trick plays and new formations. You saw it against Ohio State this year with the halfback pass they clearly planned multiple weeks for. And you see it again where they expose J.J. to the injury risk and the turnover risk that comes with putting a young quarterback who's mobile into a lot of situations where he has to carry the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. And Michigan waited until the moments where they needed it to win huge games this year. And I think they've really just exploited that balance perfectly. And all of a sudden, the two runs that stick out to me are obviously the off tackle for the touchdown, where he puts his head down, takes one takes one guy with him. And then the first down run, where he actually never even goes down up the right sideline, carries a couple Ohio State you know, defenders with him. He might be slight of frame, but he runs pretty tough. Now, does that make me nervous in the long run? Yeah, you know, JJ, I wouldn't mind you taking a few less hits, not only for your body, but so you don't put the ball on the ground. But now when you're game planning for Michigan, do you remember? I'm gonna I'm gonna take one play off the top of your head. Do you remember? I think it was against Ohio State when Trevor Lawrence broke that 70 yard run. Yes. You know, do you know yeah. what I'm talking about up, yeah. up the left sideline? I don't remember if it was Ohio State or if it was in the uh, other game, but yes. I have like, I'm having like a deja vu of a moment like that where it's like, whoa, this guy, you know, he has the potential to break one. That is now the other element you have to think about when you're defending the Michigan offense a little bit. You might have to spy this guy. Like we saw the speed in the Iowa game last year where he threw a block for Blake Corum down the right sideline 50 yards downfield where he was outrunning Blake Corum. So 
there's the possibility where you leave him wide open, he could house it. I mean, he has that four five speed. So I think that that gives another wrinkle to the offense. They didn't want to put him out there a lot, but when you get into the playoff, I would expect more runs from JJ. Oh, and totally. I mean, you saw him like like he can break one, and he's also good for those easy eight nine yards just to make the defense honest and give you those big explosive runs with the running back, like you saw with Donovan Edwards. Yeah, I think it's I think it's smart coaching. I mean, they. You know, Cade was already injured. You know you need your quarterback to stay healthy if you're going to have a real chance. And when we're winning games and have a Heisman caliber running back, why why have your quarterback run, you know? So I think we will see it more in these games that count. You know, every game counts, but championship games, playoff games, what have you, whatever the future holds, you know, I think JJ is going to run more in the late season games for sure. Let's take a quick little glance back at just the Big Ten in general. Um, you're going to have three te- three teams in the top 10 in the college football playoff rankings. And Ohio State and Penn State are going to be 21-1 and against teams that aren't Michigan. That one loss is when they played each other and one of them had to lose. So basically undefeated against everybody but Michigan, yet somehow the SEC is stacking all those teams up the top 10 and not really a lot of respect being shown Michigan's way, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, should we use this as a nice little segue to get into kind of a little more action that we saw from around the country here and how we think the playoff rankings might shake out? Let's just bask in the game just for a moment longer. Any final thoughts? I I was thinking maybe... uh, any like a couple players that you want to give a kudos to from this one? I mean, I, there was just so much I enjoyed in this game. Do I got to start? I, I can take it. I can go through a, a bunch of them. I mean, um, I thought Braden McGregor came in and flashed every ability to just be a massively talented piece in Michigan's defense moving forward. Um, Olu had a great game. Olu was moving dudes like massive there. Um, and I think we've already mentioned Mike Sainer still, um, not to take a shot below the belt here, but, um, you know, our fourth wide receiver would have been their best defensive back in this game. And I think that just speaks to, again, a little bit more of the, uh, player development. He did a great job. Rod Moore. I, all of a sudden is a all big 10 caliber safety. Um, I, I mean, it was, I've, this was the most well-rounded team effort. Mike Barrett now just tackles an open space, you know, like he's Troy Palomalu or something. Uh, it was How about Jake Moody always deserves his kudos. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, love Cornelius him. friggin' Johnson, an absolute Buckeye killer, dude. Second yeah. straight year, he's ripping off massive plays in the game, and he did it twice in their face when they said the team couldn't throw the ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, great game for him. I'll um, toot my own horn real quick. You heard it in the preview. You heard me pick Michigan. You heard it in the preview. You heard my X Factor. Michigan's wide receivers in the passing game. How did I put it? 
wow, maybe Michigan's passing game wasn't as bad as they had looked at the past few games. And there was potential for significant improvement there to take Michigan to the next level and beat a team like Ohio State. Wonder if that was how it played out. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that was a good call. Um, I think even you could not have imagined though the wide open success. But I, I think that what you don't know, tell me what Tre- I can. Imagine. Trevor was Trevor was on JJ. You were on the wideouts, and I think that them showing up really did it. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, what did like we're sitting here just like circle jerking around Michigan football, and we've named almost every starting player on both sides of the ball. Not to mention, you know, Moody had a nice field goal. Sure, he missed a fifty-seven yarder, but like that's the thing. I think that's what's that's what's pretty impressive to me is that every single player showed up on both sides of the ball, different positions. It wasn't like we were riding just JJ the whole game. It wasn't like one, you know, Cornelius broke the big ones, but I think all the wide receivers collectively played well. Roman Wilson was open on the Cornelius Johnson touchdown. He burned his guy and broke his ankles. Yeah. And I expect, I expect we have not heard the last from Roman Wilson. I think we will see Roman Wilson in the end zone at least one more time this season in, in a big way. I still think Roman Wilson is Michigan's best all-around wide receiver. Um, And I know that's a little crazy with guys like Ronnie Bell and Cornelius Johnson, but Roman Wilson just has that extra burst, dude, and he's a great route runner, doesn't have many issues catching the football. I like Roman Wilson. Roman Wilson's my guy. All right. With that, let's touch on – a couple of the other um, just games and landscape of college football. That way we can get back to the college football playoff rankings committee, uh, what we think they're going to do and where we think Michigan will land and what the rest of the season looks like for our Wolverines. So probably the game uh, that had some of the next uh, biggest implications was ND USC the other game of the weekend that I was able to catch a decent amount of obviously Notre Dame going into uh, Southern California, playing at the Coliseum finishes um, with an 11 point defeat USC 38, Notre Dame 27. Caleb Williams, like I told you last week, Pat is going to win the Heisman. You told me I was wrong. I'm not, I'm right. He's going to do it. I want, I love JJ. I want Caleb Williams. (laughs) That dude He's just a playmaker, man. Like, you never know what you're going to get. He's running around. He's he just, like, somehow is seeing the open guy. His arm strength is incredible. You know? I, I think USC is going to earn the fourth spot, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he's nasty. He's going to win the Heisman by the attrition around him. It's a nice prediction. Got a little lucky by everything falling just right. It was a good prediction. You're one and one on the day. You picked Ohio State and Caleb Williams. I mean, also, we could talk about how Kevin and I just had an absolute tear in our picks last week. Just destroyed, like, the first four games of the day. Well, I think we had – I don't think we got all four, though, right? We had – We got everything I wanted on Saturday in my mind. Yes. I think we both were on South Carolina. Um. Honestly, South Carolina Clemson, it finished almost exactly how we thought it would. Just moving on to that one real quick. Um, 
I don't think Clemson has the horses this year. The defense has underperformed, and then they have the questions at quarterbacks. They were only able to put up 30 points. They lose 31-30. Spencer Rattler has another nice game. Wells, again, on the outside, is clearly an NFL wide receiver. Um, We both were on South Carolina there. Uh, Moving to, uh, well, we mentioned USC Notre Dame. That's where we missed. USC did cover on that. And then, unfortunately, we had Auburn. Bama scores late to get a push. Again, Vegas always knows best with that 22-point spread. How they know Oh, I'll eat a push any day. Love pushes. Yeah. Push. But, I mean, to be honest, I don't even think there's any major takeaways from this. Um, Bama-Auburn game. I mean, Auburn is clearly just outmatched, I think. Um, Cadillac Williams did a good job kind of rallying the troops for that one, but, um, I got some takeaways to talk about with Auburn Go they for don't it. involve Cadillac Williams. They involve their newly announced new head coach, Hugh freeze, the guy who phoned a bunch of prostitutes with Ole Miss's cell phone and then, uh, tried to intimidate a victim of sexual harassment on Twitter and got leaked. That Matthew Freeze, head coach. What could possibly go wrong? I don't know. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like the SEC to me. The SEC to me. Um, what other games do we want to talk about? How about Kev? You got anything to say about a team down in Louisiana? Going oh. on the road to Texas A&M and Brian Kelly and his family just didn't quite make it out of there. Oh, Patrick, I know you couldn't be referring to the fifth best team in the country, the LSU Tigers, oh. who, who should possibly make it to the college football playoff? Wait, you mean the fifth best team in the country – Certainly, they must have less than two losses, Kevin. On any other week, I would have been so excited, more than anything else, to talk about how I've been so right about LSU this year, about how they are so overrated that they could be the only team this year to allow Texas A&M to put up 38 points. A Texas A&M team that could not put up 38 points against UMass. For those of you who don't watch a lot of college football, that stands for University of Massachusetts. And they yes, suck. They have, and yes, they actually have a football team, Division One, allegedly. So yeah, um, I've been pretty excited to talk about that. They're phony. The whole um, there's the SEC East, and then the other side we'll call the SEC Least. Okay, because everyone in, on that side, yes, I'm including you, Old Miss. You're also phony. You showed us that phony Old Miss, phony LSU. Neither of them are that good. Um, it just felt right. It, it felt good to be right about that. Um, that I think Texas A&M would necessarily do it. No, but they just haven't been that good this year. Teams, teams that get blown out by over 20 at home normally aren't that good. Sorry, Ohio State, that kind of still holds. And I think the committee might, might hold it against you, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Anybody watch any Pac-12 after dark or in the daytime? 
I admittedly did not watch any of these Pac-12 games. I just saw Oregon up 31-10 and then woke up to a 38-34 final, which is just so Pac-12, it's beautiful. Well, then, you can't trust the after dark. Why don't I pontificate about the games a little bit? Should we start with Oregon? Uh, You're talking about the Oregon Ducks who led 34-17 with 14 minutes and 57 seconds left, then gave Oregon State short field after short field after short field. I think there was a long kick return, then there was a face mask, then there was the punter just deciding to drop the ball at the two-yard line. There was going for it on their own 29-yard line. Uh, 21 straight points for Oregon State in that game. That will win you a football game. They had five rushing touchdowns. And Oregon State, in the midst of a fourth-quarter comeback, completed two second-half passes. Two second-half passes. How do you do that in a fourth-quarter comeback? And if you're the Ducks... How the hell do you let that happen? Um, Oregon State, I think, gets to 9-3 and three with that win. Um, and Oregon's offensive coordinator goes to Arizona State. Uh, not a great end to the season for the Ducks. Uh, the other game in the Pac-12 was Washington and Washington State. I had a little less to take away from that one other than it was a Phoenix show. Uh, 485 yards, three touchdowns for him. Um, and I think the way things are playing out now, if USC beats Utah in the Pac-12 championship, they'll make the playoff. And it looks like Washington would be probably the candidate to play Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Sounds like a pretty fun game. Yeah. I mean, talk about fireworks. The The ball will be in the air. You know, the over under that will probably be in the high 70s. And Ohio State will still be sad, even if they win. <laughs> so let's let's talk about these the rankings here and how we think they're going to shake out. Um, because I, I I think this is very very interesting, and I think we're down to um, kind of the teams that we somewhat thought. But as I mentioned last week, Pat, when we had our final comments. Before the game, Bama is not out of this. Bama's never count out Bama. So, I think the first tell question... Me, tell me your Bama scenario here. Stop just alluding to this dark, mysterious horror that could befall all of well, us. Well, I told you I told you that... I told you before that the Bama scenario is that they seem to always... They seem to... They get the benefit of the doubt and all, all the luck, all the luck they normally need. So... The luck they needed was um, there won't be any of these two-loss conference champions. They've all kind of knocked each other out. So I think here's how I think it's going to shake out. Um, I think they'll probably keep Georgia at one, and I'm okay with that being a Michigan fan, but it'll be either Michigan or Georgia at one. The other one will be at two. Three will be TCU. Four will be USC. The question becomes, what are five and six? And I think five and six are going to be some combination of Ohio State and Alabama. Now, if USC wins out, I don't think it matters. I've even heard an argument that none of these 
top four teams that actually are playing a game this weekend should be punished for the game they're playing. Because for all we know, if Alabama and Ohio State were good enough to make their conference championship, maybe they would lose that too. I talked about that earlier in the season with Tennessee. I don't like rewarding people for sitting at home. I don't think that's right. Completely agree, but I think it's totally irrelevant because the committee has shown year after year that they don't care at all about that fact, and they will punish teams for playing the conference championship game. Agreed. So I think it comes down to a very simple argument. Bama versus Ohio State. What matters more? Who has better wins? Ohio State has better wins. The Penn State win and Notre Dame are better than any win that Alabama has, objectively. Now, how do you look at losses? Ohio State only has one loss. Ohio State has a worse strength of schedule. However, Ohio State lost by over three touchdowns at home. Bama has two road losses, both on the last play of the game by one point. And don't ever forget about the SEC bias. So it's interesting. I think Ohio State comes in at five, but there is also the recency of the loss. It feels weird putting a team that, that just got their brakes beat off into the college football playoff. It feels weird doing that. I hear what you're saying. I still think Ohio State's going to get a good amount of respect, um, mainly from the reason that I think the committee is going to clearly see Georgia and Michigan as the best two teams in the country now. Um, and Ohio State has a loss to one of those. I get it. It's at home. I get it. It was a big loss. But Alabama still has two losses. Um, I think Ohio State, you know, maybe if you change the name of Ohio State to Iowa or maybe even Wisconsin, um, then maybe you see a little bit of that Alabama gravity a little bit more. Um, but I think that Ohio State will hold on to that five spot. And I think that they are into the playoff with a USC loss. I, I think it gets more complicated if USC loses for whatever reason. I do think Ohio State, their name carries more weight like you were alluding to. I think they, you know, the SEC definitely has the upper hand in the bias department, but I think Ohio State's name does carry weight. They've shown up on the big stage a couple times within the last decade. So I don't know. I don't know what they would pick between those two. I really want Lincoln Riley to win. (laughs) I don't want an Ohio State in the playoff situation. I don't want a Bama in the playoffs because I'm tired of that. It'd be nice to have a USC team in the playoffs, to be honest. I think it'd be great if it was Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. The real question, so I think that, you know, that's the very basic argument, right? Is what happens if TC, if uh, USC loses, does Bama or, or Ohio State go? Because neither of them can really boost their resumes at all. They can only indirectly do it between a team, the teams that are in the, the title game. You know, like, I guess technically it would help Bama if LSU wins, for example, or something like that by proxy, right? Here's the here's where it gets weird. I don't think you're going to see any here's, movement in that five six spot after this weekend. Like is, this next rankings, I think it'll be steady. Let me ask you this question: Is TCU locked in? 
No, I don't think so. I think it becomes a toss up. So I see, I think that means no. And I think it would be pretty close to 50 50 with a one loss TCU non conference champion and where their loss came in the extra game and Ohio State. Um, I think, it, I think that that one really could go either way. Um, man, I think that TCU might make it simply because another Big Ten team was already in, but you, I can easily see the argument made for Ohio State being in there. I think what I would say in that scenario matters how you lose. I think TCU goes down to a last-second field goal by Kansas State. I think they're in. I think they slide in at four. But I think Kansas State and Deuce Vaughn run crazy on them. They lose by 20. Then I could see them out. Yeah, I mean, I think TCU falls under the different rules because they're uh, not in one of these major conferences. So they kind of have to have the undefeated record, I think, to get in. It wouldn't really surprise me if one of these jumbo schools like an Ohio State or even a Bama or whatever jump them if they have a loss, to be honest. I think um, one of the Trev with the scenarios. Big 12 disrespect. Big 12 Not, not a big conference. No love. They're for smaller it. than the Big Ten. They have less teams. No love for the Hypnotoad, Trev. Um, I think one of the craziest situations that could play out what if TCU loses? Possible. Sure. What if USC loses? Possible. Who goes in then? So I. Th- so in that scenario, I think it would be TCU and in, in either Ohio State or Bama. I think if if USC, I don't think Ohio State and Bama both go. I don't think I don't see a road unless, you know, we're talking two 40 point losses. I think USC, Caleb Williams has to look terrible. USC has to get thumped. TCU, uh, you know, Max Duggan has to be absolutely terrible. I think they both get thumped. The weirdest outcome is that we have a Georgia, Bama, Michigan, Ohio State playoff. Um, but I think that I think TCU is is real close to locked in. I think they are very very close to locked in here. Um, Any random chance for Utah or Kansas State in your mind? I don't think I see it. No, I don't see it. Um, I think the only team that we haven't mentioned that could. In a in like you know some weird the only like circular argument team that could get in is Tennessee because Tennessee can say we beat Bama you know I think there's a world in which Tennessee fans look and say how how are we behind Bama we're but both why would that why would that change right that's what I'm saying I don't know why it would all of a sudden change but I'm just saying the only other team I even think has a you know, like who's the lowest? You asked me last week, and I, I thought Bama was the lowest. I, my caveat this week would be: I think there is some goofy. You know, the committee likes to do weird stuff. World, but I also don't think they're going to do that because of Hendon Hooker. I think they understand that this is not the same Tennessee team, but there is definitely an, an, a, a world argument here where they say that. 
I think the lowest team that can get into the playoff is going to be number five, and it's going to be Ohio State. I think even if both TCU and USC lose, it'll be TCU and Ohio State. We'll see. You know, the the what makes it what makes me think Bama has a shot is that LSU was ahead of USC last week. So the committee is not above saying, you know, you like we will we'll put a we'll take that law and remember LSU was up there after they lost by 27 at home to Tennessee. It blows my mind. They clearly weren't that good. Um, I think there's a world in which we see Bama at five. I really do. I guess we'll find out real soon. Rankings come out tomorrow. Immediate gratification. Our name is going up on the rankings. I know it's going to happen. I'm just waiting to see it happen. Can't wait. Um, any other thoughts from this weekend? Michigan, Ohio State clearly ended up being the focal point. Um, most watched college football game ever on Fox and the most watched regular season game on any network in the last 11 years. Yeah, I mean this this is the big one for a reason. That everything was on the line. I We're Michigan fans. We don't win these games. <laughs> this it was it was it was amazing. I it lived up to the hype. More people are going to tune in next year. It 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 was everything. It was amazing. And as you've said several times leading up to last Saturday, you know, once is a fluke. Two is a trend. And in year three, you come back to Ann Arbor against the same team in the same coach who will be reigning Big Ten champions, hopefully, again. And the Big Ten runs through Ann Arbor now. And that is a fact. 100%. Well, with that... I'm looking forward to the Big Ten Championship next week. We got Purdue coming out of one of the more wonky divisions in college football. Um, and man, does it feel like last year again, drawing Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. I'm excited for Michigan uh, to come into that game. I think they're going to romp them again. And man, uh, it's hard to not look ahead and see a very doable route to a national championship game at least. And for the first time in, in my life, I think I feel like Michigan football could win a national championship. Yeah. I think that is very much on the table. Again, I, I don't want to, you know, get too pompous and say that I think we're, we're a favorite. I would still play Georgia as the favorite. I wouldn't, will never again, underestimate the heart of a champion. They've done it. We haven't, but again, I think I've what Saturday taught me college football, just like any other program, like a fellowship, like a residency, it, it is built and it's built from the top and it takes years and you need to accomplish things before you achieve your ultimate goal. So this year, this is not a national title or bust. Win the Big Ten, go back to the playoff. Now it is normal for us to make the playoff win a game in the playoff 
and then you're right there. And then you've accomplished everything but one thing left. And that's the national title. And maybe you get it this year, but that's what you do. Look at Georgia. People forget. They like to talk about how Jim Harbaugh lost Ohio State. Kirby Smart had never beaten Bama. He had he had beaten Bama. He had lost to Bama one more time than Harbaugh lost to Ohio State. He was knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Eventually, you're going to bust that door down. And then once you do, you ride it as long as you can. Right now, they're riding it, and we're knocking on the door. This Michigan team thinks they can beat anyone they step on the field to play. Um, and the coaching staff thinks that they can outcoach every team they play. Um, and yeah, you know, I agree with you. I would make Georgia the favorite. I think they're still a better all around football team than Michigan. And they've been there before, like you said, but I know this Michigan team would have a chance at least. And that feels very exciting. Completely agree. Well, with that, well, thank you all for tuning in to this glorious episode of first and inches brought to you by Milwaukee tool, nothing but heavy duty. Patrick, it feels good to wake up a winner again. 12 and 0 baby, undefeated. 3 more games on the schedule. And we will see the rest of you later this week.